Hello, my beautiful beans, and welcome to today's episode. So this episode, it's episode 220. Cannot believe we've we've come this far. Um, and it's all about, it's kind of a lesson in self-love. And the theme of today's episode is who is getting the best out of you or the best of you. I'm not sure how I'm going to title it yet. Who is getting the best of you? I'm going to be talking about who is getting the best of you when it comes to other people, as in the people that are close to you versus the people that aren't that close to you. And I'm also going to be talking about yourself and your relationship with yourself and are you giving yourself the best of you or not? And if you're not, how to do it and how to identify it and how to approach it better. Okay. So hopefully by the end of this, you're going to realize that there's a lot more that you can be doing for yourself and it doesn't even require that much more effort at all. It's just more of a noticing, an acknowledgement, a thought, and then kind of, you know, tweaking a few things within your day, tweaking how you do a couple of things, and it will definitely impact your relationship with yourself. It's all these little tiny things that you do for yourself combined that equal a healthy relationship with yourself. I think a lot of people will think it's this one big thing that I need to do and then all of a sudden I'm going to love myself, but it's the opposite. It's just tiny tweaks and it's awareness, it's identifying, it's pulling yourself up on these little things and before you know it, you put all these things into action, into practice and your relationship with yourself will completely transform in a matter of months or for some people maybe a little bit longer than a few months. Okay, so little update. I am recovering from God knows what. It wasn't COVID, but I was just so unwell. Ever since I got back from the States, I think it's the plane. And I mentioned this in my last recording, I think. I just could not get on top of it. And I kept kind of relapsing. I'd, I'd start kind of getting better and then it'd go downhill again. So I wasn't even able to record last uh, podcast on Monday. That There was no podcast that went up because I just could barely get a sentence out without coughing like a sociopath. Anyway, I'm feeling way better now. Um, little hack, bit gross, but such a good hack. If you guys haven't tried a neti pot, you need to get that into your life if you ever have any kind of sinus infection. It is like this saline solution that you like run through your sinuses. It's so gross, but so amazing. So there's your life hack for the day. Anyway, we're going to get straight into the episode of today. Uh, I'm going to do a brain fact. I did promise that I would talk about the the um, hypothesis of the neurofibrillary tangles for Alzheimer's disease. So that is going to be the brain fact of today because I did cover the amyloid plaques a couple of episodes ago. Uh, and then the topic of today's episode, of course. And then at the end, I've got a very, very good listener question. It is so good. I think it's good. Anyway, let's get straight into it. So the brain fact of today neurofibrillary tangles. We're going to talk about this molecular mechanism that goes on behind these tangles. Now, before I go into it, I mean, I always get great feedback. Everyone fucking loves the brain facts. That's like one of the main DMs I get is brain facts, but it's a bit like tedious and sciencey. And I understand that some people are here just to listen to more of like the psychology side of things. So if, if that is you, maybe fast forward it to roughly like the 10 minute or 11 minute mark ish. Um, if you're not into like hectic science and like cell anatomy and shit like that. I fucking live and breathe it and thrive on it. But yeah, little disclaimer. Now, like I mentioned before, when it comes to amyloid plaques in the brain for Alzheimer's disease, it's a hypothesis, okay? There's a very heavy theory that this is the cause of Alzheimer's disease. But what we're not sure about is, is it just heavily involved or is it the cause? Now, another hypothesis 
which happens alongside these amyloid plaques is the neurofibrillary tangles. And it's called the tau hypothesis, okay? This one about the neurofibrillary tangles. If you have studied Alzheimer's disease, anything around neuroscience, any of that, you've definitely heard of the tau hypothesis, okay? So let's go into it. Neurofibrillary tangles, it's kind of like these plaques that I was talking about in the sense that it's things that clump together. These are slightly, it's made up of something different, but it's these clumps of tangles and they happen due to the misfolding of a protein called tau. Okay, and this happens to a different reason to amyloid plaques. What we're dealing with here is something called a prion, where you have a protein, and proteins are kind of coiled up and packaged in a very specific conformation, like very specific way, right? And if it's not folded properly, it's a misfolded protein, and that is called a prion. And the prion is what then goes on to cause damage through a whole series of events, right? It's that prion. It's the misfolded protein. For whatever reason, something's gone on in the folding of the protein and then fucking how you going, we've got issues. Now, the tau hypothesis is saying that Alzheimer's disease is caused by the misfolding of the tau protein. So what is the role of tau normally? So within the cytoskeleton of the neuron, So that's the structure of the neuron. So imagine that neurons have their own little version of a skeleton, right? So you've got like the soma, which is like the body of the cell. Then you've got all these extensions that reach out. You've got the axon and the dendrites and all these bits that reach out to be able to connect to other cells. I'm kind of like you should see my hand movements trying to explain it to you even though you can just hear my voice. Now, that neuron has a kind of skeleton and it's called a cytoskeleton and it's inside the neuron, obviously, and it helps maintain the structure of the cell, but it also helps transport this cytoskeletal structure within the cells, helps transport nutrients across that cell to keep it, you know, to keep it running smoothly. And we've got something called microtubules within this cytoskeleton, microtubules, and these form part of the structure and the integrity of the neuron. Like I said, it's the microtubules that help transport nutrients across the cell, helps maintain its shape and its structure. And these microtubules have the ability to stretch out longer or to get shorter. And when it shortens, it can fall apart. And this is known as, the actual term for it is a microtubule catastrophe, lol, love how dramatic that is. And it is the role of tau, this tau protein, to prevent it from falling apart when it gets shortened. So it allows for this lengthening and shortening but it prevents this microtubule catastrophe from happening. So if tau was not present, another thing that tau does, if tau was not there, these microtubules would not hold together. So they would just float off and they wouldn't have this like specific structure where where all the parts that make up the microtubule, when you look at diagrams of it, it looks like all these little beads or bubbles that are stuck together. And it's the tau protein that keeps that tube of bubbles stuck together. If the tau wasn't there, it wouldn't hold together. Now, there's a protein called tau protein kinase 1. It's just another protein. And it phosphorylates tau. When you hear something, when I talk about phosphorylation or phosphorylates, it's basically adding a phosphate group um, to something else. Okay. Something is getting a phosphate group added to it and it's turning it into, so this phosphorylation occurs and then tau protein kinase turns tau into something called tau phosphate because it has a phosphate group added to it. 
when tau is in its phosphorylated state, this tau phosphate, how many times do I want to say tau phosphate? It has the ability to stabilize these microtubules. The issue in this whole tau hypothesis is when it gets hyperphosphorylated. That's when there's too much phosphorylation going on. So it's not going to do its job and it can't stabilize the microtubules because just too much of it has gone down. And in Alzheimer's disease, for some reason, these tau proteins are hyperphosphorylated, which means that it's just happening too much. So that whole process leads to the failure of the microtubules. And what causes this? So what they're thinking, what it's believed, based on what we've found, what scientists have found, it's believed that inflammation of some sort activates the, that tau protein kinase, the one that adds the, the phosphate group, um, but more so than normal. So instead of just activating it to do its job, it hyperactivates it, which then causes hyperphosphorylation. And because of this, the microtubules start to break apart or collapse and it has lost or it starts to lose its integrity and its structure. Then bits of tau protein, which are now hyperphosphorylated, detach from those microtubules, they just float off, and then they clump together. And these clumps of detached tau proteins, which are hyperphosphorylated, are called neurofibrillary tangles. Now, the microtubules that are left can't actually do their normal function. They can't transport nutrients and they can't do cell trafficking, which is needed for, for the cells to function. And these tangles that are formed get spread throughout the cell in the inside of the cell. So with amyloid plaques, it's outside the cell structure. Um, with tau, it happens in and outside. But definitely inside the cell structure. And these, they form these large aggregates called neurofibrillary tangles and they also induce cell death, okay? They can also spread, like I said, outside of the cell and when they're outside the cell, they induce inflammation because of the effect that they have on glial cells on the brain. So we know that glial cells are like the supporting structure structural cells to the neurons. So for every neuron, you've got 80 to 100 billion neurons in your brain. For every neuron, you've got about 10 glial cells. So there's a fucking lot of them, right? And when there's inflammation outside of the cell, you activate certain glial cells, which then release these pro-inflammatory mediators, which then lead to more inflammation which then leads to the activation, this more inflammation will lead to the activation of tau protein kinase 1. And then that leads to hyperphosphorylation and then the vicious cycle continues. So that in a nutshell is neurofibrillary tangles and how they detach and why. But it's important to note that that's not the only inflammation that's going to set off this activation of tau protein kinase 1, which leads to this phosphorylation. There's all kinds of inflammation, not just the one I mentioned. All kinds of inflammation can cause this this whole cascading effect. Um, yeah, good times. Thought that was interesting. If you study the brain, hopefully that gave you a, um, I don't know, good explanation of that if you're interested. All right, let's get on to the topic of today. Okay, so the episode is, of today is all about who is getting the best of you. In this episode, I want you to experience a moment where you're truly, truly, truly willing to change something in what you do for yourself. Something about all the things that you do for yourself or the lack of, I want you to change, even if it's the tiniest thing. There's always something you can do that will make you feel better about yourself and better within yourself. And it almost always comes down to how you prioritize 
where you put your energy, where you put your efforts, your talent, your attention, your kindness, your understanding. And a lot of the time, it ends up being you that scrapes the barrel with these things after you've depleted all these things to other people. Sometimes it's people that you love and care about, which is fine to an extent, but often it's about people that you're like, didn't even want to be here, don't even whatever, or, you know, or a mix of everything, okay? Today, I'm going to be talking about how you should be giving yourself the best of you. And then second to that, the people that you fucking adore should be getting the next best thing. And then it goes on and on and on. I mean, ideally, in an ideal world where it's like all peaches and cream, everyone's getting the best of you, you're getting the best of yourself and, you know, all the above. But we do have a threshold of attention span and energy and the ability to do things. And we have a limit of time in which we can do these things. And we also have, you know, uh, a very wide spectrum of moods that we feel, okay? So we have to understand that not everything is going to be this high-flying excitement, happy times, whatever. So we've got to make sure that when it is like that, we're investing that energy in ourselves and the people that matter. Okay. The first thing I'm going to do is talk about how you can be giving the best of yourself to the people that matter to you. Then I'm going to be talking about your relationship with yourself, which is almost more important, if not the most important thing. Uh, For me, your relationship with yourself will determine the quality of everything else in your life, your relationship with others, your career, everything, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be just talking about themes and topics just to get your head around this concept that I'm talking about. It's this idea that you it's actually going to help your good relationships become better and it's going to help the relationships that you're trying to improve, improve a lot faster. I was watching an interview with Esther Perel. If you guys don't know who Esther Perel is, she has a podcast. She also has many books. I have not listened to too many of her podcast episodes, but I've heard many of her interviews. She's phenomenal and I have, I'm reading one of her books right now. She is a relationship psychologist, therapist. Her whole thing is all about relationships. And she was being interviewed and this, she was talking to this guy that was interviewing her. I'm going to butcher the whole story, but anyway, in a nutshell, she's talking to a guy that's interviewing her and he's leaning over, looking at her, looking through her eyes, like really, and he's funny and witty and he's just giving her his all because he's working you know, it's his job. He's interviewing a very interesting woman. He's got a whole audience there. He's on fire. And she said, you know, you're married. And he's like, yeah. She's like, do you go home? And, you know, she goes, right now, I'm getting the best of you. I get this version of you that's, you know, up there. It's just the best. I've got your attention. You're funny. You're all these things. Does your wife get that when you get home? Or do you go home and you're like, ugh, And he just pulled a face being like, oh, my God, I've never been so seen in my life. Like you could tell it all in his face. She kind of was, without him even saying anything bad about his marriage, she was kind of calling him out being like, make sure that you don't put all this, all all the best of you to people that, like, yeah, it's good. that Obviously, you're not going to be like, oh, I'm fucking tired. I'm not going to work. Like, it's not saying that. But it's just be aware that the energy you bring to strangers because you want to impress them, you need to be bringing some of that energy home to your marriage or to your partner. A lot of people wonder, like, why has the spark died? It's because we become complacent. And then you end up in a lot of relationships. The reason why the spark dies 
obviously you know each other so much there's less surprises that can happen. But often the reason the spark dies is when you meet someone, you fall in love with that person who is putting their best fucking foot forward and they're not even being fake but they they want you to see them in their best light. So they are just glowing and you're like fuck this person's energy is unbelievable I really want to spend time with them again I'm, I'm magnetized to this person and you're doing the same you're bringing this energy you're giving them your attention you're listening to what they have to say you remember what they say you have fun because you're so present in that moment because you're into each other and it's this beautiful electricity that's kind of like being thrown back and forth between the two of you and that's what then forms the foundations of the relationship at the start so then you start dating and then you're learning more about each other it's fun 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 it's intense it's beautiful right then it starts to you know go on and on and on and then you start learning about each other's annoying things each other's flaws you move in together you then you know, you're also each other's like downtime, which is not a bad thing, but you're like, oh, I can just relax when I'm with you, which is not, again, like I said, that's not a bad thing, but it's all about trying to maintain the balance as much as possible. What happens for a lot of people is that the excitement fades and then everything else increases. So then I come home and, oh my God, I just want to relax and do nothing. This is my time to just chill. Just let me be on my phone for an hour while I'm trying to wind down. And all these things are okay in, in doses. But if every time you come home, you just flop on the couch, when you've just been giving the best side of you and the side of you that your partner met and vice versa, and your partner's doing this to you, you're giving that intensity because that part of you still exists. It never dies. But you're giving it to other people. You're giving it to people at work, new friends that you've met at an event where you were networking. You're just, you're, it's still there. But your partner sees less and less and less of it. And then people wonder why the spark dies. So you've got to ask yourself, this version of me that exists, that really existed when we started dating or, you know, when I started hanging out with this group of friends, is it still there? And if so, to what extent? And could I bring more of it into the relationship, you know, or into the friendship? Because sometimes you get so comfortable with a group of people that it becomes really comfortable to talk about your pain and to talk about your stresses and your frustrations and your worries and the things that annoy you and this and that and all the things on your plate and how anxiety, everything, which is great. That's what close friends are for. That's what your family's for. But is it now gotten to a point where you offload, 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 fucking take, take all my weight, listen to everything I have to say, see you next time, mate, and then you leave. Is that what you're doing? Because I'll give an example. I've got a friend, love them so much, and they were talking to me recently about how much they love meeting new friends and it's one of their favourite things to do. They love to meet new friends, they love to hang out with new people because specifically, and they mentioned this reason, specifically because when they hang out with new people, they noticed their best version of themselves come forward. They were like, I'm way funnier. I'm so fun because I'm actively putting in more of an effort and I notice that I don't bang on about my exes. I don't bang on about my dating dramas and all these like sad stories. I just find myself absolutely thriving because I'm in the zone. I'm meeting new people and it's all this fun, exciting energy. And I was like, that's really good that you have that and that you get to experience that every time you make new friends. But 
what what can you not also do that with your friends because at the moment your friends are literally always getting called to then sit on the phone and listen to you talk about the same story about your ex again and 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 again right which is fine like i said that's what friends are for but now this this elite version of you are you giving that to your friends or is it, is, are you just seeking out all these new friendship groups because you get to experience that fun version of you with these new friends because you don't want to, you know, kill the vibe or kill the mood by constantly talking about your ex-partner all the time. Meanwhile, you'll just then turn back to your friends and be like, oh, hey, can I burden you with all these dramas? So basically what I'm trying to say is it is absolutely what your inner circle is there to do. They're there to support you and listen to you. But make sure that you are still giving those people that matter to you the best of you. Don't reserve that to impress people that you don't know because those people are going to be like, fuck, what a legend, and then walk away and forget about you, okay, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. And if you have a good time there, but make sure if you're going to do it for people that you don't know, you best be doing it for people that you care about because That's why relationships break down. That's why relationships get boring. That's why friendships start getting like, "Uh, uh, uh, this is a bit boring because you just talk about problems, problems, problems. Then the only thing that's interesting if you only talk about problems is when you hear about gossip about someone else and bitching about someone else and then, then it becomes toxic, right? So it's like I need to make sure that I'm still bringing the fun. I'm bringing the excitement. I'm bringing the, the spontaneity into this relationship and I'm still that epic version when someone met me, I'm still that friend 10 years down the line. I'm still that partner 20 years down the line. There's some, uh, I tried to find this study and I'm so annoyed that I couldn't find it so I could literally reference it for you. But I will, I'm going to keep looking because it was a legitimate study that I found once recently, like six months ago. And it spoke about relationships that share in because you know I think a lot of people think that the really close relationships are where you share in your pain together and that definitely helps you get closer with someone absolutely because it's vulnerability and you're opening up but the relationships where in in which or where you share fun and laughter on a regular basis are the ones that last longer I fucking need to find this study it was fascinating. So basically, it's saying that you need to prioritize or make very important laughter and sharing in the joy with people that matter to you, with the ones that are closest to you. Don't be like, oh, the old ball and chain at home and then have fun outside of the home. How can you include your partner? If you want to keep the spark alive, how can you include your partner in that fun and excitement? It's the little moments in life where you are sharing in joy that is going to determine the longevity of that relationship. And it makes sense if you think about it. It's pretty logical if you really think about it and break it down. That makes a lot of sense. So I was doing an interview on Lucy and Nikki's podcast, Happy Hour podcast, and, and there were uh, listener questions being, being sent in. And one of them was, how do you keep the spark alive in a relationship? Now, I've only been in my relationship for just under three years with Tyrone. So obviously I'm not talking about a long, long, long-term relationship. But, I, but this person that was writing in was, you know, early 20s and in a relationship. So obviously they weren't in a massively long relationship either. One thing that I have found that I 
absolutely love in my relationship, which I've not had in my past relationships that I have with Tyrone, is that he is genuinely a very happy person, but more importantly, he shares that joy with me, right? So what I mean by that is that a lot of people might be really happy, but they're kind of reserved about it and they're quiet, they're just, you know, chilled in their happiness. Whereas he will be so outwardly, genuinely happy. When he comes home, he like rushes over, oh, my love, big hug, will sometimes dip me, give me a big kiss, just for the sake of it. When he wakes up in the morning, he'll be singing. He'll be singing so loud, walking out down the corridor of our apartment to go to the car park. I can hear him singing, I'm every woman, it's all in me, singing that song. He's just full of joy and full of life. And how do you think I respond to that? I end up mirroring that behavior. If someone's got this beautiful, and it's not fake, it's just a genuine, beautiful energy. When he's in a good mood, he wants to share it with everybody who he can. So he's sharing it. So then I'm just, obviously, then I start to, you know, emit back that same energy. And before you know it, you're like, fuck, I'm in this really high vibrating state right now. I feel really good. And then every time you think about your partner, like often when I think about Tyrone, I'll just have a big smile across my face because I remember something fun or funny that we shared in. And it's always the small fucking moments. It's always something that happened in the kitchen or when he was saying goodbye this morning. It's not like, oh, that trip that we went on while those trips are great. That's not what I'm always thinking about. So it's always trying to bring moments of, of like joy or excitement to the people that you care about. It's crucial. Okay, you you got to make sure that you're giving the best of yourself to the people who you love the most. Okay, and then if you can extend it to everyone else, great. But make sure it's not the other way around. That's the one thing you got to make sure of. Don't be this legend out there and then some boring dud who's on their phone all the time, not giving a fucking bar of attention to your family or your partner or your best friends who you only ever use to be like, hey, you can take all my burdens and fix all my problems. Anyway, bye. I'm going to go meet these cool people and be the best version of myself. Just make sure you're not doing that. If someone's going to take your burdens, you also want to share all the best moments with them as well. Now, we're going to go into yourself. I've got a few things that I've fucking written down. This is probably the main one that I want to be talking about because often people, and this is really, this happens a lot with parents. It happens a lot with mothers where they give and give and give and give and give and give to everyone else, riddled with guilt. And then when it comes to giving themselves something, it's kind of, that's the last thing on their agenda. Okay, and that's not a healthy thing to do. And it's not, it's not, actually, it's actually not doing, obviously, it's not doing yourself any favors, but it's just not going to be good for all your relationships across the board if you're not giving yourself the best of yourself every single day. So, above all, above every relationship, you are the one that should be getting the best of yourself, not everyone else, and then you last. It's this idea of like, the advice that you give to all these other people, but you just won't apply it to yourself. Or the encouragement that you'll give to everyone and the motivation that you give to everyone, but you won't apply it to you. The pep talks that you give to your friends when they break up with someone who wasn't right for them and you're telling them that they, they can you know, find a better love, a better match, but they're not doing that for yourself and staying in a relationship that's just 
eating away at your soul. The attention and the airtime that you give to other people's big dreams and ideas and their goals, you know, but you won't give that level of that time or attention to your own big dreams and ideas and goals. Forgiveness, where you forgive other people and you genuinely say, no, it's okay, it's fine. You comfort them in your forgiveness, but you won't do it to yourself. When you're understanding to other people, but you're not understanding of yourself. And, you know, I could go on and on and on, like the belief you have. So think about the people that you respect the most and why you respect them and the belief you have in them. It could be like an athlete. It could be a relative, someone who you just really respect that you're like, oh my God, you're amazing. You blow my mind every time. And you just have so much belief in their power, in their abilities, in their ability to bounce back. Like you're resilient. I know you can do it. Like I've seen you do it before. I'm so, and this, this level of belief you have in those people, but then you might not give an ounce of that level of belief in your own abilities or in your own resilience or in your own ability to bounce back. Every single day, you have the opportunity to give these things to yourself. And it takes practice if you're not used to doing it. But you have, you know, you have to do it consciously at the beginning. But if you do this for yourself, your actual abilities will increase because you're only going to aim to do things at the threshold that you've allowed in your mind. So if you're like, oh my God, that person over there, my friend over there, they can do fucking anything. I've seen them when they put their mind to something, oh my God. Or, you know, my friend right there, they're fucking manifester. Anything they put their mind to, it just happens. That's amazing. What about you? Oh, nah, 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 nah. Like I just, oh, no. So like you've set the bar so fucking hard for other people and you're like, yes, you can do it. And for you, it's like, oh, nah. Yeah, like, nah. Doesn't happen for me. Look at the language. Look at how you treat the people that you adore and how you view them in your mind versus how you view yourself. Now, it starts with effort and then it becomes effortless. Anything worth having starts with effort, but if you do it consistently, it will become effortless. So what I want you to do is I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself, how can I give myself the best of myself today? And it could be the tiniest thing in the world. Is it dedicating the first hour of your day before you communicate with anyone outside the household? As in, not fucking using your phone. You know, just communicating with your family and your pets. You know, no one has ever said, ever, well, I doubt, that being on their phone for the first hour of the day has truly helped their relationship with themselves. Ever. So if you're trying to improve your relationship with yourself, that's the first thing that's got to go. You wake up and you dedicate that first hour to you, right? And it's not to say that there's not people in the household that you've got to interact with and do things for as well, but you think my attention is going to go towards everything I'm doing. I'm really going to be present. I'm really going to be focusing. I'm going to get up and not hit the snooze button. I'm actually going to get up and actually, you know, take the time to do my skin routine, whatever makes me feel good, right? But I'm going to do it for me. It takes three minutes, but I fucking feel good when it's done, okay? Ask yourself, am I giving the worst to myself? You notice when, when you've got a crush on someone or you put someone on a pedestal, you show them all the attention, you want to help them, you make yourself available, you show up for them, right? You are like, this person is fucking worth it. If they say, hey, can you do this? You're like, absolutely, I can do this, 100%. 
Imagine if you did that for yourself for one week straight. For a month. Imagine if you said, for the next seven days, just seven days, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to be the person I've got a crush on. I'm going to be the one that gets my energetic moments. I'm going to be making myself feel good. I'm going to be dressing up for myself. I'm going to be doing my hair the way I love doing my hair. I'm going to light that fucking candle that I spent too much money on just for me, just for fucking me. I'm not going to wait for guests to come over, that candle that got dust on it. I'm going to light it for me. Thank you very much. I'm going to tidy up my space as if I have guests coming over, but it's just for me. And I'm going to sit in this tidy space and really enjoy how good my home looks. I'm going to write shit in a book. These little moments of joy that you often reserve for guests, a date, when someone's coming over. Imagine the audacity if you did that just for yourself for seven days. You'd feel fucking good. You'd feel like, oh, I'm fucking, how fucking good am I? And when you do these things, you become, it's one of the best ways I find to become really present because you start to notice things that you wouldn't notice if you were to share it with somebody else. And I'm all for sharing things with other people. But sometimes it's good to do something just for you because you actually notice it so much more. If you were to just sit there in your space, you've tidied everything up, you've lit the candle, you've got this empty notebook and a pen and you're like, you've, you've made yourself a tea. You're like, holy fucking shit. This is amazing. This is fucking amazing. And I feel good and I've prioritized myself and it's just the tiniest thing. For me personally, isn't like for me, you know, how you dress, right? When I dress a certain way and it doesn't have to be dressing up it's just dressing in clothes that I'm like that's fucking cool right I feel more powerful I feel more creative I feel more in the zone and I work in an office where it's just me I have my office space where I've got my podcast recording studio I've got like a film set up I've got a few things that I'm adding to it I'm creating my space but it's just me because Maddie who works with me she works remotely because she lives in Melbourne Fucking Maddie moved to Sydney, moved to Sydney. Um, yeah. So I will still wear, not always, lol, you should see, you should see how much of a troll I look like when I roll into the office sometimes. But if I'm wanting to get really in the zone and do some work and, you know, I will dress up in an outfit that makes me feel powerful and creative. And oh my God, it changes my day. It's got nothing to do with impressing other people. It's I'm like, why don't I put in the effort for me? I want to look in the mirror and be like, oh, I love this style. I'm in the zone. I feel good. I smell good. I've got a good perfume on. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm vibing myself. And then I'm off to go to work and my energy's high and I'm feeling good. The same goes for, for eating. You know, if I put in the effort to prepare a nice meal instead of standing in front of the fridge and shoveling cheese and salami into my mouth, which by the way, Lord knows I've done that. You can ask my sister for proof because she's witnessed it many times. But I'm just not a cook, right? So I'm normally the person that stands in front of the fridge. And my mum used to always say to me, like, are you a horse? Why are you eating while you're standing? Because I just couldn't – I would never value preparing a meal, sitting down and eating it because I'm like, oh, it takes too long and I don't enjoy cooking. But the times that I do it, I'm like, oh. This is so nice and I feel really good in myself. I feel less stressed. I feel a lot calmer because I've taken the time to do something, even if it's the most basic meal, but I've taken the time to spend five minutes longer doing something, sitting down and being present in that moment. And I feel so much calmer, more relaxed and happier. 
So I want you to now think about how can you do these tasks of self-love for yourself today? Is it how you present yourself? Is it how you dress? Is it how you, you know, are going to do your hair? Is it how you present your home? You know, there's so many ways that you can do something for yourself to be like, you know what? You are fucking worth doing this for. And it, I don't have to share it with somebody else. I want to tell myself that I'm good enough and I'm worth it to spend this time or this resource or this money or this effort on me because it makes me feel good. And then in turn, I'm more relaxed, I'm happier, and then I'm more likely to do more of these things for myself. And then it's this really positive cycle that you set off. So I want you to pick maybe like three things that you're going to do a day for the next seven days. If you want, ideally, I'd love you to share these on the Facebook group because I love how everyone gets involved with the 30-day challenge that we, you know, that everyone was doing. That was awesome. So if you can pick three things that you're going to do every day for seven days and ask yourself, how would I treat myself if I was my own crush? How would I act towards myself if I was my own crush? Because you will bring your best fucking foot forward if you were your own crush, okay? So please share it on the Facebook page. I would absolutely love that. All right, now... To finish, it's time for our listener question. Hey, Queen Bean, I found your podcast last year and it has changed my life. I am mentally the strongest I have ever been and you are a huge part of that. So thank you. I'm needing your advice, but firstly, you'll need a backstory. Also, thank you so much for that introduction. That's beautiful. I've been on and off with my partner for eight years. I was 16. He was 22 when we first got together. We got pregnant within eight months. From day dot, there were red flags, including cheating. But me being young and dating the cool older guy, I dismissed them and believed everything he said. Over the past eight years, I have been through so many unhealthy situations, manipulation, cheating, physical, mental, emotional, and sexual abuse. It's no excuse, but my partner did not have the best upbringing. He was continuously abused and around abuse from a very young age. He has opened up to me a little bit and what he has said has made me extremely sad. This is why I have so much patience and understanding for him as he's never been shown love. He has grown a shit ton over the past eight years. However, he still has a long way to go. He doesn't communicate. He sweeps, he sweeps things under the rug and when I try to communicate, it always turns into an argument and he blames me. After listening to your podcast, I've learned to control my emotions and I've noticed that he is a huge narcissist. I've been wanting to leave for a long time now, but feel like I have a trauma bond and always keep coming back or never go through with leaving. Also, my family live hundreds of miles away, so I don't have immediate family support. I know what I've been through is fucked, but it's comfortable, like the devil you know. I'm not in an amazing loving relationship, but it's also nowhere near as horrible as it used to be. I'm also scared of breaking up our family and how that will affect my daughter. Please give me your honest advice and opinion as I know you always do. Appreciate you. There is so much, so much, so much to say about this. The first thing I want to say to address before I get into anything else is you, if you leave, you are not breaking up the family. I don't want you to ever feel that you have broken up a family. The family still exists. It's not broken. You are shifting the dynamic so it works better for you and for your child. So you're 
And also, so it works better so you're not disadvantaged. So it's fair. A lot of partners, this is, this is what does my fucking head in. A lot of partners will manipulate a situation, okay? They're going to do everything on their terms in the relationship. It's all about them. They just run it how they fucking want to run it. I'll abuse you if I want to abuse you. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll expect you to pick up all the fucking pieces, right? They'll never come to the table and compromise. And when their partner wants to pull the pin and say, I can't do this anymore, I'm going to have to leave, they'll turn around and say, just so we're clear, you're the one that's breaking up this family. They'll ride the guilt wave and then the other person feels so horrible and they stay. The family is not broken if a divorce needs to happen. Everyone is in one piece as far as I'm concerned. The only thing that's broken here is that person's ability to reason. And if anyone has broken anything, they have. They made the cracks. You tried to mend it. They made the cracks bigger and eventually cracks get so big enough and this is what happens. So you are not breaking up or breaking the family. And a child, a child is always better off growing up with parents who are happy and thriving than in a relationship where their parents are suffering or in a dynamic that's not healthy. A child's main need is to be loved. That's it. Now, you can show that love however you want, single parent, co-parenting from, you know, from different households, in, in a married couple, it doesn't matter. But the child needs love and they want to see love. Okay? So if you are like, this is a very unhealthy relationship, but I can't leave because my poor child. No. No. Because if a child's also seeing you suffering, and mind you, children are fucking switched fucking on. You would know you're a parent. They know. They fucking know, right? They know if their parents are unhappy. So don't ever feel like I'm doing my child a disservice because I need to leave for my own sake. So... If you're talking about just the child, as far as the child's point of view, a child needs love. That is their primary need. And you can give that love. You can have a very healthy dynamic, a better dynamic, divorced than together. And there's many divorced couples out there that prove that. Okay? And I just don't want you ever staying in a very unhealthy, abusive relationship because you think it's going to be damaging to your child because that is absolutely not the case. Children just want to see their parents happy. Parents together who fight all the time do the child no favours, okay? Don't think it's a better alternative. Don't think you're doing the, it's the best thing for them. Never feel guilty about what leaving your partner will do to the child. Your job is to love your child, give it the most harmonious home possible. And yes, conflict happens, absolutely. Even in healthy couples, conflict happens. That's normal, okay? But how do you repair conflict when it does happen in front of the child? And does this relationship that's going on, if it doesn't have adequate repair, if the child doesn't see a healthy repair every time there is conflict, then they're not going to be perceiving that as a loving household anyway. The next point I want to touch on is that he had that horrible childhood or the abusive childhood. And that is truly horrible that he went through that. And nothing can justify that. That's awful. And you have done a lot from what you've written, a lot to support him and help him wherever possible. But just because he's been hurt, there is no excuse 
for you being hurt too. It is not fair and you don't have to carry that. It is not your job. You can still support him from afar if you want. You don't have to. You can still aim to have a healthy co-parenting relationship and work towards having that. But you don't owe him a lifetime of being his romantic partner. Let that be fucking clear. You don't owe him that. And because he had a hard life, that is, it's not on you. It is not on you. You don't have to be more understanding with abuse that's happening to you because they've copped abuse. What the fuck? You don't have to ever be understanding when someone abuses you. What's to understand? It has to stop. Okay? So the priority here is to protect yourself. And you've done a lot for this person. And you don't have to continue doing that. Okay? There should be no guilt. You shouldn't be feeling bad about this because you've done a lot. And you didn't even have to. And lastly, when it comes to this, because you're talking about this comfort, I've got a few questions to, for you to ask yourself. Are you living a life that you didn't sign up for? Is this life enough? And another question, if you didn't have a child, would you stay? And if the answer is no, then that is the answer. Okay? Because I'm not there looking at your relationship, knowing the dynamic of the relationship. There may be big enough reasons that make you want to stay that were not mentioned in this letter. But if you know for sure that there's no fucking part of you that would stay if it wasn't for the child, then you have your answer. Okay? It's not to say it's going to be easy, but it's your life and there's, there's one that you get. And you're young and there's so much you can do with your life. There's so much you can do with your time. There's so much you've learned already. Don't think, oh, because all this time has passed and it's gotten a bit better. There's so much that could be at your fingertips, but difficult things, you have to go through difficult things, unfortunately, in order to get to those things. And you've got to ask yourself, am I worth doing all of that? And the answer should be yes. Okay? I hope this has helped. I know I can't give you a definitive answer, but that's my advice for your situation. And hopefully you can kind of see it the way I see it. And you should be very proud of yourself as well for everything you've done so far. And you've raised a child and, you know, there's, there's so much good around the corner. It is there for you. All right. Thank you so much for writing in. I really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Love you all so much. If you do want to write in to the podcast, have your question answered, uh, just write to info at dyfmpod.com. Guys, I love you so much. You have no idea. You have no fucking idea. Adore you. As always, please remember, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brains. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Don't care.